Hey, and welcome to the CCWC podcast. Thank you so much for taking the time to be part of today's message. We hope it inspires you, encourages you, and deepens your faith in Jesus. Enjoy the message. Well, this morning we start a new series highlighting and kind of walking through some big questions in life. Now, let me just tell you, we're not going to necessarily answer all of the questions because um, not, uh, I, I'm not going to claim to have the answers to all of these, and not all of them are going to be fully answered to your approval, uh, I'm assuming, but hopefully we will explore them enough that, one, you will have some, some information, um, some cognitive information, but also uh, formative transformation maybe within your heart and your spirit of understanding a response to or an answer or some type of information regarding the questions that we're going to look at throughout the course of the next five weeks. If I give you a foolproof answer today, I will tell you right now that Satan's going to poke some holes in that and begin to try to sow some seeds of doubt in you. Let me just tell you, that is not a bad thing. In fact, doubt can be used as a good thing in a lot of ways because it opens your eyes and your hearts to be able to continue to explore together. And so as we walk through this, as we walk through this month, there may be some questions that arise because of the questions that we attempt to try to answer. Let's walk through those together. We serve a good creator God as opposed to serving the alternative, which is a flawed, created world. And as the church and as those who, for many of you, have gone to church your whole life, that second one, that why would we serve a flawed, created world, let me just tell you, that is the reality for many people. Now, they wouldn't phrase it that way. Most people would not phrase the fact that, hey, if I don't serve God, the one true God, then I serve something uh, of this flawed world. But in essence, that's basically what they're saying and basically what they're practicing because when you don't serve God, you serve a creation because God created all things. And so those are really the two options. And the greatest philosophical question of all time uh, ties in with that greatly, and that is this, does God really exist? Does God really exist? And the the greatest philosophical response or statement can be found in Genesis 1-1, and I'm just going to give you this up front just so you know. We're going to look at Scripture, and for those of you who say, well, I don't know if you're just going to use Scripture and just use the Bible, I don't even believe in that. Well, let me just tell you, we're going to walk, we're going to use more than just Scripture today, but we're going to use Scripture as a, a point of reference in many of these things because Scripture aligns with the reason and the experience and the other things that we're going to use to walk through and explore these questions. Does God exist? Genesis 1-1 answers like this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Does God really exist? The Bible answers with a yes, and then goes on from there. The Bible really doesn't even spend a lot of time even researching or talking about whether or not God exists. Simply, the Bible starts with and expresses this, that in the beginning, God created And that's profound for us, that's profound in a lot of ways for us, because it helps us to understand and to realize the fact that God brought forth everything that we know. 
God created everything, and it's a foregone conclusion in Scripture that there is a God. There's this agreed-upon truth for, for anybody that, that lives because we recognize that we are here, you recognize that you are living in this world, and that there is a time or there was a time before you existed. And also there was a time, and this is agreed upon within the context of science, the scientific world as well, that there, always, or that there wasn't always a world, but instead that the world had a birth date. In fact, when we walk through this, that's the first of the three main points we're going to look at, and we're going to kind of use a methodical approach, and we're going to look at three specific ways that point towards the reality that there is a God and He does exist. The first one begins with creation, and then we're going to look at design, the design of the world, and then we're going to look at moral law, the understanding that, hey, look, even if these things are all in place and this all kind of just randomly happened, why do I have this right and wrong within me? As we walk through these methodical elements, let me just say there are going to be many off-roads or rabbit trails or side questions we can ask. Here's what I'll encourage you to do. Write those down on the side of your note guide. Take a note within your phone, whatever it, wherever it is that you take notes, and continue the conversation on those. And I'd love to have a conversation with you about those side notes that come up, but I'm sure there's other people that would, would, uh, would love to have those as well. But don't allow those little sparks or seeds of doubt to be rooted in you, but instead continue to explore. Creation. Does God exist in the former understanding of the creation that we live in? Romans 1, 19 and 20 reads like this. Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what, he has, from what has been made so that people are without excuse. How and why God put things together and why he did so is somewhat of a mystery for most people. Why did God put things together? If we're just to read this statement, if we're just to understand the world outside of this statement, we might ask, why, why are we here? What is this all about? But one thing that we can land on and recognize is that sometimes we can get discouraged, we can get frustrated, and we may not fully understand God, but God understands us. And because we are his creation, he understands us. He gives us the amount of information that we can understand or the amount that we can hold on to. Like those of you who are an adult and, and, and you breathe into the life of children, maybe as a teacher or as a, a leader or a coach or a parent, you recognize, <coughs> excuse me, you recognize to some extent that there's only so much information that a young child can understand. And there's only a certain way that that young child can understand those things. As we grow, we learn more. As we grow, we understand more. We can understand more in a different light, in a different way. And what God recognizes through his creation, through us as his children, is that we as a creation, not as gods, won't always understand everything because of our limited capacity and because of the way that we live. In this exploration today, one of the first things we must do is kind of hit the reset button. Who are we? Where are we? Who is God? We as finite beings, we don't know everything. This is the creator who put all things into motion. 
The theologian Bill Maher says, religion is dangerous. I was joking there, by the way. Religion is dangerous because it allows human beings who don't know all the answers to think that they do. I disagree. In fact, I'll tell you right now, I don't know everything. And I don't assume I'm going to know everything. But I do know the one who does. I know the God who knows everything, and I know that even though I'm, I'm not someone who's not intelligent, I recognize that God reveals to me what he wants me to know when he wants me to know it. If you're following along in your note guide, the first point is this. Everything God wants us to know about himself, he has revealed. And we can see that specifically through creation. We can see that through humanity. We can see that through the process of humanity and reproduction, the way that God has, has provided us opportunity to just see things and operate in things and the recognition of, of the need for work, the need for rest, the need for rhythms in our life, the fact that we're holistic beings with, with, with minds and with spirits and with physical bodies. We recognize that through relationship and through words, through language. Back to Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created. We know that's true because we see the creation. We are the creation. I've heard somewhere before, I think, therefore I am. And that, that has a little bit of truth in this recognition that, hey, I recognize that I am a created being, that I am a finite being. Here's the evidence. The evidence of creation in and of itself is the evidence of a creator. If there's a creation, which you and I can agree on, we are that creation, then something had to get this whole thing started. Something had to start what we see today, and by virtue of there being a creation, there must be a creator. Now, let me just tell you right now, if you are an English professor or English person, there is a wrong there in your notes, just so you know. It's not up there. Somebody fixed it up there for me. But by using, not using the, the, the scripture, and, and, and I know that sometimes we kind of get in this context, okay, well, if, I, if I'm going to believe in God, I want some outside information about how there is a creation, how there is uh, this, this way of living. Let me just say the existence of a person indicates one thing that there was a mother, right? The existence of, of, of you and I recognizes that there was a mother. There has to be some way, some creator for us to exist. If the world exists, if the world is here, there had to be a creator in and of itself to begin with. The difficulty here in many cases is that the breadcrumbs have been given for us. God has laid out a trail of evidence, of understanding for us. And the problem is in many cases that we see it different ways. My parents used to watch those shows, those CSI shows, right? And all of them are pretty much the same thing, just different actors, same bad writing, but you know, the, the actors would, would, would go through and they would have all this evidence and it would seem like it was just a, a cut and dry, easy case. They've got it all figured out. And then all of a sudden someone would recognize, wait a minute, the evidence is pointing that way. And we see that even happen in the world, right? We recognize the fact that you and I and, and, and others around us, we see in this world, we might look at this world and even say, look at the world. Look at the world. There must be a God. Well, the person next to us might be saying the same thing. Look at the world. There must be no God. Same evidence. 
same creation, different result. There's this push for a a new atheism, the idea that you don't need God. This started really in the dawn of the Enlightenment. Before the Enlightenment took place, people, there weren't really atheists. People lived in a spiritual understanding of the world. The scope was much different. It wasn't about this personal relationship. It was recognizing that God's spirit is in all things. He's everywhere. And when the Enlightenment came, it, it, it taught us how to doubt it taught us how to, 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 to almost reject God and say, God, you don't exist. There may be a rejection of God before the Enlightenment, but in most cases, there was not a rejection of whether he existed. It was a rejection of whether or not you want to follow him. When the Enlightenment came around, it, there was this differing perspective and understanding that there was, there was science and there was reason over here, and then there was God over here, as if there are two different things. Let me just say that in more cases than not, especially not in theory, but in in actuality, science and God, they match up. In fact, God created science too. He also created reason and gave us the understanding and gave us the power to have understanding. This movement to new atheism has a push for, for separation, and that separation's goal is to eliminate morality. To eliminate an understanding of who God is and what God wants to do, how he wants to change, transform, and give you and I a peace that we can't experience from this world. On the other hand, apologetics, which we're, walk, we're going to walk through a little bit during this series, is this understanding not of trying to convince, because my goal is not to convince anyone, but instead it's to help understand. When I was a, a youth pastor, I used to have people all the time bring me their kids Say, hey, they've got these issues. Can you please fix them? And I would say, first of all, I can't fix anyone. God does the work. I will try to help them understand. I will show them who God is. I will reveal to them the scriptures and the truth. But let me just tell you right now, I have maybe an hour a week with them and really only five minutes where they're going to be listening. You have 23 hours that day and 24 the rest every other day of the week. And so the reality is this, while right now we walk through this together, this understanding moment, there is a continuation that is necessary for us as believers or as those who are searching to continue to try to find God's truth in our lives and beyond. Why does someone exist? Has anyone ever asked you that question before? Have you ever even thought about that question? What is your answer? Why does someone exist? Why do you exist? Why do I exist? Everything that exists has a cause, a means of being, a cause and effect, so to speak. So our effect is why we exist. Our cause is how we exist. The universe exists, so it has a cause, right? Because of the fact that it is here, there is a purpose. There is a reason that causes God. God is the one who caused, who brought forth the world, and there is an unmovable mover who gets things going, the God of all creation. If a creator exists, that means a creator intentionally created the universe for some purpose. Atheism would have you believe that you have no purpose, and therefore there's no God. Again, by virtue of this being, there being a creation, there must be a creator. It's a little bit different today because I can see all of you. So those of you who like to sleep in the back, 
It's good to have you with us today. It's interesting to note, too, that as we walk through this, typically there's a design, there's a way that things fall into order for service, and today that's been abruptly changed. But certainly the design of, of, of engaging with God, coming together in this place is, 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 is perfect in the way that God has for us to do it, right? We come and we fellowship, we worship together through song, through giving, we worship together through scripture, and at some point during the service today, we worship together through Holy Communion. As we look at the second point, I've named it in your note guide, orderly design. You may have heard of it before as intelligent design. I've kind of steered away from that, that similar title for the, for the very biggest reason, because in and of itself, it's not necessarily a Christian perspective. But I will say this, that for our purposes today, we briefly explore the nature and the theory and how it points to an intentional creator God. The precision of the world is Amazing. The reality of how our planet is spaced and where it's positioned in accordance to the sun is amazing. For life to even be sustained in the way that our atmosphere practices, the way that we, the, the, the way that we see animals and we see trees and we see vegetation grow and reproduce, the way that we see the human body act and literally heal itself is amazing. The world around us has an immense amount of creativity. This is a beautiful time of year for a drive, to see the, 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 the flowers blooming, to see the trees in full color, to be able to see God's handiwork as things get green again. At the same time with this creativity, we see complexity. We see the way that all things are working. We see that, that just the, to, to the smallest minute ant who's got its job to all day and every day be out gathering and bringing things back. And at the same time for you and I to understand just the very complexity of our own being, our own spirit. The world is filled with immense amounts of fine-tuned creativity and complexity. As it pertains to an understanding of this creativity and complexity, Scripture has a vast understanding. I'm going to get into these in a little bit more detail in a couple of weeks as we talk about Scripture and whether we can trust Scripture. But the Bible, in a lot of ways, knew first some of the principles that we know today. In fact, in, in, in uh, the, the concept of, of recognizing some of the laws that we experience every single day, one of them, one law we experience every single day that we all have to follow is gravity. Right? You and I all have to follow the law of gravity. We all live in a world where gravity exists. I don't see any of you floating away, see any of you having to pull your, your house or your car back out of the sky and bring it back down to the world again. We all follow this understanding of gravity. In Job 26, 7, it reads like this, He spread out the northern skies over empty space. He suspended the earth over nothing. Now, this is hard to rectify for people, specifically as they, they might read this and they understand the laws of gravity. He suspended the earth. The earth was, was suspended or touching nothing. Excuse me, it was suspended. It was touching nothing. Ironically, many nations and people groups over time were trying to convince the exact, or convinced of the exact opposite thing. Some believe that, the, that, uh, that, that we were sitting on the back of a turtle and that turtle was standing on a serpent. Others believe that we were in the hands of a, of a man, of, of, of a man named Atlas. 
Still others believe that the world was flat and surrounded by a dome which the stars were hanging on strings, literally attached to something. And while these interpretations are interesting, it wasn't until 1687 the universal law of gravitation was, was, it was accepted by Isaac Newton and recognized at the same time that 3,500 years earlier, the Bible, which was carbon dated, the book of Job was carbon dated 3,500 years earlier, Job was able to write this nature of creation, this recognition. By far, God's preceded humans' understanding. The water cycle, Job 26, 8 reads, He wraps up the water in his clouds, yet the clouds do not burst under their weight. Job 36, 27, and 28 says, He draws up the drops of water, which distill as rain to streams. The clouds pour out their moisture, and abundant showers fall on mankind. Sounds like the water cycle to me. Draws up water, drops of water, evaporation, distills as rain into the streams, precipitation. Clouds pour down their moisture, condensation. You might be saying, oh, right, why does that really matter? Obviously, that, that's something that takes place. But I'm going to ask you right now, how many times have you seen water come up out of a lake and go up into a cloud? Or how many times have you looked at a cloud and recognized the fact that, that cloud is, is, is basically vapor being held there to rain down again one day? What Job was saying was obviously inspired by the Spirit granted him in that time, and it wouldn't be discovered for 400 years, in 1670, that this idea of what Job expressed was actually literally true. Scripture and science have a lot in common. And in essence, in a a lot of ways, God reveals himself uh, to us through his word. Let's do one more. Let's understand the human brain. Romans 12, 2 reads like this, Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. It's an amazing thing to recognize the fact that God can renew our minds. But what does that really look like scientifically? Well, our brains are made up of, of, of literal matter. And the more that you think about something, that you ponder on something, the more that you engage in something, the more that your mind is strengthened in that area. And at the same time, the things that you do not focus on, whether it be something that you worry about or an old memory or whatever it might be, those things are weakened. And your mind is therefore renewed into what you engage in, what you focus on. And so what the author is saying here is you focus on God and your mind will be transformed into something new. A scientific principle that literally happens in the mind that the author would never have known about at that time. An example of his design, a call to rethink the shortcomings of this world. Something that couldn't have happened by accident. Anybody here been to Mount Rushmore before? Anybody stood there outside of Mount Rushmore and thought, man, I can't believe that in their exploration of the Black Hills, they found a mountain that randomly placed here that had four guys that we elected president right there for us to see. Heard the story once of a man who was walking through with his son. He was walking through a cornfield. 
As he got halfway through the cornfield, he paused for a moment, he looked down, and he found a pocket watch. And he picked up the pocket watch and began to examine all the intricate detail on the watch. He was able to open it up and look at all the gears moving inside and recognize right then and there that somebody had planted this pocket watch in the ground. And that it, a seed in the ground, and then it grew into this beautiful pocket watch. And so the man took that watch that day and he broke it into pieces and he put it down into the ground and he went back and he checked from time to time never to find another pocket watch. You and I wouldn't walk into a field and find a watch and believe because of the fact that we found that intricate watch in the field that in some way the farmer planted it and it came there and it grew out of nothing. Intelligence of design, orderly intelligent design is understood this way. Evidence of design indicates the evidence of a designer. You and I are not an accident. And however God chose to do so, and there's many different measures in which he could, you and I are here intentionally on purpose. Finally, moral law, the law within, the understanding within that goes far beyond what we see or what we could experience. Why do we have a sense of right and wrong within us? Why do we have a sense of what's right and what's wrong? Why do we care when we hurt someone's feelings? Why does it bother us when someone says something rude or mean to us? Why do, why do we have that pit in our stomach when we do something wrong? We find out later on, oh man, I need to make this right. Objective moral values exist, and they are properly basic in most of our lives. Moral laws exist whether a person in our culture believes them or not. Normally, functioning human beings take these for granted to, as basis of, of, of their well-being and, and their flourishing. It's just something that we do. This is just a way that we live. But this is a way that we also understand that God exists. Humans don't have to find moral laws in the reading of the Bible. Such knowledge is available to all people. In fact, it, it says in, in, in Romans chapter 2, verses 14 and 15, it, it reads like this. Indeed, when Gentiles who do not have the law do by nature things required by the law, they are a law for themselves even though they do not have the law. They show that the requirements of the law are written on their hearts, their consciences also bearing witness in their thoughts, sometimes accusing them and at other times even defending them. Without God's special revelation, Scripture, and Jesus, we can know the difference between right and wrong. We have a general revelation of basic moral laws in our conscience of understanding. They're constituted to the function properly when we live according to God's design, but even when we don't, there still is an understanding. You and I, regardless of where we're at, and anyone else in the world recognizes that lying is wrong and kindness is good. In fact, the point is this, there's an intrinsic and universal moral law. C.S. Lewis says an objective moral law exists. The reality is that the one in us as, a per, as humans is pervasive or universal today and throughout time. I'm going to quickly just walk through just a few things in comparison. These are the, the, the international chosen, uh, as comparison, international chosen moral values of humanity. Honesty. Honesty. 
comparison verse or in number nine on the Big Ten, Exodus 20, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Integrity, you shall have no other gods before me. Promise keeping, that's right there. And trustworthiness, number nine, once again, loyalty, honor your father and mother, you shall not covet. Five, six, and seven are all fairness, concern for others, respect for others. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not have false witness. Law abiding, number two, you shall make no idols, the law of God. Commitment to excellence, keep your Sabbath day. Servant leadership, you shall have no other gods before me. Honor your father and mother. Reputation morale, honor your father and mother. And accountability, you shall have no other gods before me. An objective moral law requires a moral law giver. Because of the very virtue that you and I have, that there is a right and a wrong, recognizes the fact that there has to be some type of source for this understanding. Where do the values come from? How are they universal? Even in tribes in areas where no one has ever connected with them, if you go and you ask them, and I've read studies on this, if you go and you ask them, what are your, your laws for your community? They fall in line almost to the T to the Ten Commandments, this understanding of what's right and what's wrong. The next thing for that, and this is kind of a, we're going to kind of jump through these, this universal moral lawgiver must be absolutely morally good. Otherwise, if he wasn't morally good, then we would, might think bad is good. Bad is the right thing to do. Wrong is the, the position that we should have. If, if the one who brought forth the, these moral values wanted us to do the wrong thing, then we would feel good doing the wrong thing. would at least not feel bad about it. And then finally, the moral law giver is God. I think I'm okay to jump to that conclusion, recognizing the nature and the character of the God that we serve, recognizing the fact that he is, he is, he is omnipresent, he is all-powerful, he is the God that is in, in, this, in this room, in this place right now, just like he was at Pentecost, just like he was at, at, the, at the moment to which the, the Israelites were freed from Egypt and, and beyond. The God who loves all, who is in all, who grants all peace. This moral lawgiver is God. So let me ask these rhetorical questions now. Why is the universe so well designed? Why does life exist? Why are you here? Does God really exist? Jumping back to the beginning, and we'll close with this portion, we'll transition into a moment of communion. The Big Bang Theory is, is a relatively new idea. In fact, Einstein didn't even believe it, but an astronomer came and, and as several came together to try to understand and, and rectify this, this birth of the world, the one thing that they came on, even though there was many disagreements, the one thing they came together on is the fact that there was a birthday for the universe. More and more evidence piled up on itself and the people accepted this to be true that there was some at some point there was this explosion of matter where everything started there was a point a beginning as it says even in Genesis 1 in the beginning the laws of nature have not been uh, have not brought any understanding 
of, of how this all came to be. Instead, most of the laws of nature, all the laws of nature, describe how things specifically work. Perhaps not to convince you once again, but just to kind of share this understanding. If the world had a birthday, the answer to the question, does God really exist, is, is yes. Because someone ultimately had to be the birth giver. Sadly, even in the midst of a wonderful birthday, even in the midst of what God has done for us, the creation, the design, the moral law that we have, that moral law at one point was broken. And as a result of that broken moral law, God went to work again and sent his son Jesus. Thank you again for spending time with us today. Thank you especially to those of you who give to CCWC. It is through your faithfulness that makes this ministry possible. Also, if you have any questions about today's teaching or if you want to learn more about CCWC, feel free to contact our office, check the web, or follow us on our social media platforms. If you enjoyed today's podcast, we do encourage you to take a moment to subscribe and share it with friends. Let this be a blessing to someone else that you love in your life. You're always welcome to join us on Sunday morning for worship, or until then, we'll catch you on the next one. God bless.